Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you give us uh, to hear your word, to be challenged by your word, uh, to be built up by your word. So, Father, I just pray that as we reflect on your word this morning, um, that we would um, open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to what it is you want to teach us. I pray, Father, that each one of us would be transformed today um, because of what your Holy Spirit is doing in our spirit. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I've noticed um, is that probably the most powerful aspect of the church is the most problematic. That one of the most beautiful aspects of the church is the most annoying. Over all my years of being in ministry, I can honestly say that on more than one occasion, I've turned to my wife or I've turned to one of the, my co-workers at church and said, church would be awesome if it wasn't for all the people. Now, I bet that is a sentiment that many of you, um, if not verbalized, many of you have probably felt. But the obvious truth is the church is the people. And ultimately what makes the church awesome is the, the spirit alive in people in true fellowship with one another. But it doesn't eliminate the reality that people together, people in community, can create some of the most basic, some of the most um, irritating problems that you'll ever face. Today we're going to... Uh, begin a new series, a new series entitled, When We Gather. And it is based on the truth drawn from the teachings of Paul in 1 Corinthians. And it's essentially an expansion of the morning devotions I've been doing um, over the last week or two about the importance of, of the church assembled, of, of, the, of the necessity of the church assembled. If you haven't had a chance to um, watch the videos, I really want to encourage you to do that at our Facebook page, uh, because they're going to give you a, a good background for the conversation we're going to be having over the next few weeks. But essentially, we need to understand that, that a central element of the purpose and the existence of the church is its nature in gathering, in, in being assembled, in, in coming together. We've likely all heard the instruction in Hebrews chapter 10 when the author says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves, or, or don't neglect to, to meet together as is the habit of some. And yet there's this really true, really genuine sense among many in our society that it's really not that important to gather. A few weeks ago, I, I met a woman and we were talking about church and she said, you know, for me, church is going into the woods and just communing with God. For me, that's church. And that's not an unusual sentiment. It's a sentiment that many people express. But I don't think it really captures what the church is meant to do. The church is meant to gather, to, to be together. Now, I want you to understand something. Uh, this isn't intended to be a commentary on our current situation. In a season such as this, it, it, it may be beneficial for us to work to, to help prevent the spread of a disease that, that can uh, take lives. But what it is meant to do is it is meant to 
heighten our awareness that the church was always meant to be expressed in community, gathered together. Now, the reason I say that is because I believe that truth is rooted in the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is this, is this great chapter that, that describes this great story, this great interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus turns to his, his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? Peter gives that profound response to that. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. His declaration there is, you are the Savior. You are the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for that's going to save his people. And Jesus responds to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. The Spirit of God has revealed this to you. And then he makes this declaration to not just Peter, but to all those assembled and to us. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. His statement there was, upon the truth that I am the Messiah, that, that I am the hope of the world, that I am the one who has come to save, upon that truth, I will build my church. Now, Jesus uses a specific term there, a specific word there. The word he uses for church, it's the first time it shows up in the New Testament. It's a Greek word, ekklesia. And ekklesia has a, a, a deep understanding behind it. So Jesus is saying this. He says, he says, upon this rock, I will build my ekklesia. Ekklesia in the literal means those called out. But they had a broader sense. It had an understanding in that time, in that, in that day and age, that goes beyond just being called out. It was called out for a purpose of gathering together. The word ecclesia meant a group of people coming together, coming out from their homes and gathering together. In fact, ecclesia would be used to, to refer to just a mob of people, people gathered together. So Jesus Christ, as he establishes this idea of the church, he's establishing the idea that they gather, that they come together. And so from that point on, we see that the church is a gathered body. Together, working in one accord, challenging one another, encouraging one another, worshiping with one another, praying for one another. Whether it's in Acts chapter 2 at the birth of the church, or, or the description of its continuation, devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, having all things in common or as it's reflected in the epistles. And that's why throughout this series, I, I want to focus on Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians. The, he, is, he is writing here a letter, and, and I want you to understand this. And I want you to remember a, as the background for all of this, he is writing a letter, an epistle. And who is he writing the letter to? All the epistles, all the letters that we see, whether it's the letter to Rome or it's the letter to Corinth or the letter to Ephesus, all of those letters are written to whom? The church. The church. The church gathered, actually. The letters go out. And whether written by Paul or written by Peter, the letters go out. And they would gather together and the letters would be written 
as encouragement, as instruction, as direction to the church as it's gathered. You can see all throughout the letters, and we see very much evidence in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. This is for the church. And you see it specifically, specifically clearly, starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you watch the daily devotions, you will remember the context and the conversation that Paul begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, specifically in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. And from there, he, he, he goes in, into a correction related specifically to the Lord's Supper, if you remember. right? Just, just two verses later, he says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And, and, and the admonition continues. He, he gives instruction uh, on how to worthily take communion. I go into this more extensively in the devotions, um, and, and we'll likely touch on it more throughout the series. But for now, what, what, what I want you to see, what, what I want you to, to focus in on, is the simple phrase, when you come together. And two different times in these verses that I just, that I just read here, he, he says, when you come together, it's not for the better. And then he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Two different times he makes that, he uses that phrase, when you come together. Paul begins here an instruction on what takes place when the church gathers. Two different times he says, when you come together. He says, when you come together, this is what's wrong. And he's saying, when you come together, this is how it should take place. When you come together, what you're doing isn't right. So when you come together, let me show you, let me explain to you how it's supposed to work when you gather, when you come together. And he starts that instruction with how the Lord's Supper should be conducted when we come together. But I contend that he doesn't end that instruction with that admonition. That he doesn't, he doesn't just talk about what happens in, in the Lord's Supper when we come together. But that in verse 17 there in chapter 11, he starts the conversation. This is what you need to do when we come together. And the reason I say that is because there is a very clear bookend that we discover all the way in chapter 14. Now remember the, the instruction on gathering starts. Chapter 11, verse 17, with when you come together. And then we jump to chapter 14, and what does it say? Chapter 14, verse 26 says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, 
a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. What then, brothers? He's saying, with that being said, when you come together, when you gather, let all things be done to build up. We have to remember the nature of the letter. We have to remember exactly how this is presented to the people. It, it, it's not chopped up like we read it. it, it Paul didn't, didn't speak in, in verses and in chapters. It was one clear thought. It was one continuous thought. And you can see he throughout is giving an instruction on how we function when we gather. It starts on communion. And, and it ends with orderly service intended to build up the church. But there's so much to be discovered and understood in between. In fact, some of, some of the, 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 the most consequential and some of the most well-known teachings are found in this passage as a part of what takes place when the church comes together. We're going to be exploring aspects of chapters 11 through 14 over the next few weeks, but I want you to see an overview of what has been taught by Paul to the church when we gather. As I said, in chapter 11, he says, when you come together, you're not taking the Lord's Supper. Now, why does he say that? Why, why does he say they're not really taking the Lord's Supper? It's because some, some are hungry. Some eat a lot. The issue here, as he, as he goes through the, to, the total admonition as it relates to the Lord's Supper, the issue is you aren't taking care of each other. He's saying you have to take care of each other. You have to look out for each other. He says that which makes you unworthy of taking communion. Is that, is that you're eating and drinking of the Lord's table without any consideration for the body of Christ. He's saying you're not thinking about the church body. When a passage says in there that, that you to eat and drink worthily, you, you, you need to do it with, with consideration, with thought about the body. He's talking about the corporate body, the assembled body. And you know one of the reasons why I know that's true? Why in that instance, he's not specifically talking about the body of Jesus Christ like he does earlier, but he's talking about the body as the church. Because then what do we discover in chapter 12? Immediately following that instruction, what do we discover? We see the well-known analogy of the body described. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And, when, and then he expands on that analogy, right? He's, he's talking here in, in, in uh, chapter 11. He says, listen, guys, what you need to do when you take communion is you need to be concerned about the body. And then he goes in, he says, and you know, we are the body. 
He says, we are the body. We, we, we are each a part of that body, and we all bring something to the table. And, and when he expands on that analogy, he's talking about that idea that, that one part isn't more important than the other, right? But what is he meaning by that? What, what does he mean by, by us being the body and each part coming together like the body? What, what are, what are, the, what are the, the parts functioning doing? What, what is the function of each part of that body? Now, there are various varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's talking here about the body functioning because each one of us has a variety of gifts. Each one of us has been given a gift and we come together. For what purpose? The common good. you got to remember here, chapter 11, verse 17 starts with instruction on when we gather. He walks through it and he says, he says guys, when you come together for the Lord's Supper, you have to, be, you have to care about the body. You, you have to have a concern for one another. You need to be looking out for those who are poor, for those who are, who are sick, for those who are suffering. You need to take care of them. Because we are the body of Christ. And then he goes in in the next chapter and he says, yeah, we're the body of Christ and each one of us has our different gifts and they're brought together. Why? For the common good. For, for the communal good. In this passage, the, the entire chapter is about the church using their gifting for the common good. The literal definition of the Greek phrase translated as the common good is to bring together, to bear together, at the same time to carry with others. We each have a gift that we gift to each other for the common good. And I want, you to, I want you to remember that. I want you to hear that in light of what we, what we see in chapter 14. It says this, right? What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. Do you see the continuity to this point? Do you see the continuity of the line that is drawn starting in chapter 11, verse 17, bringing us all the way to chapter 14, verse 26? How the continual conversation is, God brings us together, God gathers us together, and we bring to the table blessings out of our giftings for the common good for the building up of the body. This entire section, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, is a conversation, an admonition, an instruction to the church around and when we gather. I find that fascinating because I see it as something that so often we read these chapters and we don't see it as that context, as that idea that there is this common thread that runs all the way through it, all the way from the instruction and how we take communion 
to how we have orderly worship, all done in communion, one with another, for the building up of the body of Christ. And as interesting as that may be, as interesting as it may be to see that to this point, probably the most important revelation for the common good, for the building up, for when the church gathers, we haven't even referenced yet. We've touched on chapter 11. We've discussed chapter 12. We've reflected on chapter 14. But sitting right in the middle of this discussion on when we gather is this big, bright beacon trying to teach the church how to function as the church when we gather, and it is chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Dead center in the conversation about when we gather, how communion should be seen, how, how gifting should be manifested, how a service should be orderly, is the instruction to love. The context of the love chapter. Though appropriate to quote at a wedding, though instructive in the broader sense, is in context instruction for the church in community when we gather. There is no question that at times we feel like church would be great if it weren't for the people. But love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. When we gather, love must be manifested above all else. It must be seen and known and practiced because the church in community, the church in community must be bathed in love. The church is the church in community. And that community requires a love that flows from our Savior. Even now, where you are at, I, I encourage you to reflect on the manifestation of love directed towards your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Are you patient? Are you kind? Do you bear all things, hope all things, endure all things? Because this is the calling of the church. We can, we can talk about the instruction of the Lord's Supper when we gather. We, we can talk about, about the manifestations of the gifts for the building up of the body when we gather. We can talk about our different varieties of giftings coming together and functioning as the body when we gather. But if we do not practice love one towards another in patience, in endurance, then the rest of it doesn't matter. Everything else is a clanging symbol with little value. Are you patient? Are you kind? Do you bear all things, hope all things, endure all things? This is the calling for the church. When we gather, my prayer is that this is what marks our gathering above all else. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you correct our spirits, that you correct our minds, that you correct our lives in the context of our relationships with brothers and sisters. I pray, Father, even now that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come in a way in which we desire reconciliation we, we desire to, 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 to humble ourselves that brothers and sisters may be built up. I pray, Father, that each of us, wherever we are right now, will begin to take the steps to be the church in the way in which your word instructs us. In your precious name.